Welcome to Turnpikers, the show about the people who make up the Denver and Boulder tech scene. We're your hosts, Luke Beatty and Danny Newman. Information about this show is available at turnpikers.com and at turnpikers on Twitter. On this episode of Turnpikers, we are joined by John Nordmark, longtime tech idol around these parts, has been in the uh, Denver Boulder tech scene for quite a while and, and definitely have crossed paths many times and uh, have long, long history. So, you know, I think uh, myself and a lot of our listeners uh, know you from the eBags uh, days mm-hmm. and as classic 90s uh, names go, eBags is uh, one of the best. Would love to hear kind of the story, you know, before we dive into some yeah. of what you've been up to recently. Would love to hear kind of some background on that and uh, inspiration, growth, uh, right. hurdles, good times, bad times, all of that kind of stuff. eBags. Yes. Yeah. yeah, well, ask any question you want about it, but it, it um, yeah, that's that's um, been a, you know, a great company to be part of. And uh, I'm lucky to be part of starting it. It got going back in 1997 era. You know, it really got officially going in 98, but uh, the story getting there is kind of interesting and the funding story is interesting. I'll answer any questions that you want to ask around any of that. And, uh, but I was at CEO for, uh, from the founding through the year 2008, early 2008. And uh, if you remove the first two years where we grew really, really fast, uh, we grew at about 34% at a 34% kegger my last eight years there. So it was good profitably. We, yeah, it was, unre- you know, we, we got profitable pretty quick. Um, I mean, in those days. Sure. Like, uh, we got profitable in the year, um, I think it was 2001. Actually, our first profitable month was August 2001, the, the month before. Everybody else went the other way? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we went the other way too. <laughs> yeah, like, sure. In September, it, it yeah. It was crushing, um, I mean, you know, emotionally crushing, financially crushing, but we came through that. And, and the thing that really marked eBags was, I think, an incredible resilience. And, um, and it wasn't me, it was uh, an entire team of very creative and thoughtful people. And, um, but anyway, we, we got through that. Uh, and then I, you know, I was at CEO until it, it uh, passed just over 100 million in revenue uh, in 2008, uh, gross revenues. Um, and then I uh, left, went back into the startup world. Uh, I actually stayed on the board uh, and then gradually became um, chairman. I've been fired there like three times, so. <laughs> I've been through everything. As, with, as, yeah. as a good uh, up and down yeah. story goes. Yeah. So why, uh, why bags? What was, did you have some special relationships yeah. or? Was it, you just had an awesome domain. <laughs> That's a great, yeah. I mean, the reality is it wasn't a huge uh, leap for me because I'd worked 10 years at Samsonite. Yep. Uh, I worked at, I was head of marketing there in my last couple of years. And there, what that, what that means at Samsonite, it's primarily a product development job. It's, it's building products and managing the life cycle of those products for, um, you know, 21 different distribution channels. Like a distribution channel would be uh, department stores, uh, luggage specialty stores, warehouse clubs, uh, military channel, premium channels. There are 21 of those. And, um, and I uh, felt like in 1997 that we should be selling on the internet. I mean, uh, you know, we're watching Amazon. I, I actually was a climber. I, I went down to Ecuador uh, and climbed a couple mountains down there with a friend. And 
uh, stayed in Guayaquil uh, with a family before coming home and wanted to send him a, a tabletop book. This was 1997. Or, or I wanted to send him a gift, I should say. The only thing I could think of was, um, because it would not, was not easy, was go to Amazon and see if they would ship down there, and I shipped a book off Amazon. And it was that moment that I thought, oh my gosh, this is different. Like, this is a, this is a catalog, and, and at the time I knew that the catalog channel represented about 12% of revenues for um, you know, the bag industry. Sure. And so this was just a digital catalog, and that's what set me on the path. Um, that's that was awesome. the beginning. Yeah, I mean, it, and then and th and then uh, what I tried to do over the next uh, year and a half was talk my bosses into. That's what I was going to ask. Is <laughs> did you try it internally, of course, and then you you spin off and oh. and, uh, and kill it? Well, That's you're the, an entrepreneur, yeah. you know, Danny, and yeah. and I know Luke too, and and probably a lot of the listeners. And the hardest thing is is convincing people. Yeah, you know, I always say the best ideas are are the ones that no one believes in. Sure. Uh, an idea is really only an idea when no one else believes in it. That's a true idea. And, and obviously then, you know, Amazon was alive. There were a lot of dot-coms, but uh, it was still so new. People didn't believe in this stuff. And Samson and I didn't believe in it. Um, the president didn't believe. Uh, he told me, the first one said, I, I, we, you know, we can't do this. He lost his job a couple months later, so I totally understood. He wasn't looking out, you know, 10 years. Sure. He was looking out <laughs> two months. Uh, but then a new CEO came in, and I thought, you know, and Samsonite's a multi-billion dollar company. It's, it's a global powerhouse within that industry. And uh, a young CEO came in, and I thought, this is a chance. Like, I'm going to talk him into this. We went to dinner. Um, and after 45 minutes talking about it, he said to me, uh, John, I can guarantee, well, I have email and I'll guarantee you one thing. No one's ever going to buy a bag through an email. That's what he said to me. And, it, and that was 1998. And that's when I, no, 1997, that was the end of 97. So maybe the book thing was 96. I don't know, but that what was a it. great quote to, to yeah. kick off a business on. Yeah. <laughs> mentally, it was, that was it. You know, eBay, I was mentally quit and it took me about six more months to wind out of Samsonite, but eBags began. That's amazing. That's yeah. a very cool origin story. Yeah. And what did the early days uh, look like? Did you have a technology background? I think uh, no. I remember didn't Spire or Gelman or somebody uh, help you with uh, kicking some of that stuff off the ground? Yeah, what was interesting, uh, I start. I met Mike Gelman, um, <laughs> you know, when it was him and another guy named Paul Shank, yep. and, and uh, he was working out of his house. I remember going to his basement, you know, and and but and I was like this guy at Samsonite, you know, with a big job, and but I was sneaking away and talking to Mike Gelman, and and Mike was kind of teaching me about what he thought could happen, and I obviously had my ideas and. And, and what happened then, I started um, investing my own money in building prototypes of websites kind of on my own. Like I started spending my savings and, and uh, I think I spent that on Mike. Uh, <laughs> um, but it, I, I was able to then get prototypes up and running that could show, I could show to my friends, you know, who I thought might be able to join this company, what this could turn into. But at the same time, I was working on, uh, I think it was, it was either four or five other companies. One was called Sales Pulse. I ended up giving the domain to Mike Gelman later. Uh, another one was called E-Stickers. Um, I sold that one to uh, Guy Kawasaki. Okay. I think. And, and, uh, <laughs> That's but, great. 
but anyway, I tried, I, I tried talking some of my old um, Samsonite friends into joining me on this on a new business, but I always tried getting them to do sales pulse, you know, Easter. I, one was called Appreciating Art, and they all said at the end, and it was primarily a guy named Frank Steed, who was a former president of Samsonite years ago, and then Peter Cobb, my former boss at, at Samsonite. Uh, both those guys said to me, if you, if you will do a bag company, I will join that one. And, uh, and that's what then got my focus down to, you know, forgetting those other ideas and yep. moving on to e-bags. But I, I didn't want to do that because it was boring to me. It was, a, you know, I'd been doing well, this been for doing years. you'd been doing continuation, right? <laughs> but at the same time, like looking back, it was, a, it was perfect because uh, we didn't have to learn the whole industry. We had all the connections in the world. And as you know, like the, the internet was hard enough to learn. Sure. Like that was all we had to focus on to figure out. But even there, like five years in, I remember uh, we were hearing stories that, uh, you know, like Samsonite still thought we were going to tank. They were telling vendors and stuff, other, or other retailers, and we would hear it by the grapevine. But, you know, it didn't happen. Lucky that's, for us. That's, that's awesome. And what, uh, did you guys have any kind of conversations with Amazon or anybody like that trying to come in and, and acquire early on or any other kind of folks like that? Or was... Yeah, I don't know what I can. I'm under NDAs on a sure. number of things. Yeah. But, uh, and I, it's been a while, but, yeah. uh, but I still am sensitive to all this stuff. Sure. We had uh, three acquisition offers that were, um, I shouldn't say offers. Uh, there was uh, one full-on offer, but others that went for months and months uh, where we just couldn't come to agreement. And this actually brings up a good story. We had, when we were $62 million in revenue, I'm not going to name names of companies, but just know this is a very reputable <laughs> firm. Um, we had an offer for $120 million when we were $62 million in revenue and uh, went back to our venture firm. Uh, there were just two of us on the board at the time. And uh, I shouldn't say an offer, verbal, you know, what about, sure. what, what if. And, uh, and then later we got another one. Um, well, we, we said no because of the, um, our finance group, yeah. the venture firms. And, uh, and then we went back and said, uh, you know, we we got a well. I was told I have to get a better price, and uh, I was able to get it up to 140, which would have been, you know, you're you're in a different world. But in retail, one times revenue is pretty good. Uh, but to get two and a half times at, at the time was a really big number. And but what happened was then I was told uh, we were we were offered like 140 or asked about 140, right. and I was told if you can't get 300 million, no way. No way. The VC thinking and, yeah. in in uh, yeah in retail too, and, and, and so you know we wrestle with that. Yeah, and, and um, I mean looking back, um, that was a huge deal. But we went through three of those scenarios, and you know it's it's too bad. I tell every um, I mean it, actually eBags is an amazing place today, so it's it's a good thing. But um, but I always tell every entrepreneur, you know, like you, you got to. If anything credible comes in that feels like a decent thing for everybody involved, like, you know, you got to really seriously consider it. And if you get pushed back from one person, think of the whole group. Right. Um, you have to. But, yeah, I've been through a lot of that. <laughs> On the investor side, did you raise uh, from local investors, from the Valley, or what's the no. uh, kind of mix? We raised, we had about 200 investors. And... Uh, 
what happened? This is kind of crazy. We had a, a chairman of Samsung. He's a very wealthy man. You know, he anyway. He, yes, he was that. a diplomat. Uh, he he worked for Clinton over in President Clinton over in Singapore, and he was like the second biggest contributor to the Democratic Party and a, a real big deal guy. And he wanted to fund eBags, and this was great because we worked for this guy at Samsonite. He was a, he owned Samsonite basically, or owned a huge piece of it, and and uh, he'd been gone from Samsonite a little, little while. And it turned out, though, that um, they had us sign a no-shop agreement, uh, which is another thing you never, ever do as an entrepreneur. But we did it, not knowing what we were doing. There was, this was pre-LinkedIn, pre-Facebook, right. pre—like, there was nothing out there to figure pre out. all what these the, amazing resources, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're just kind of flying by the seat of your pants. And, and uh, we signed it, and the guy kept saying— he actually had an investment group, you know, working with us, but they kept saying, oh, you know, in two more weeks, we'll do this, and another week, and another two weeks, we desperately want to do this. We're getting those kind of messages, but then we were running out of cash. This is our personal cash, you know, and at this point, it, like, just my situation, I had $60,000 on my credit cards, um, had a second mortgage on my house, had depleted my 401k, almost all of my savings, you know, I, by this time, I'd almost, I think, asked for my parents to give me $20,000 to help me through everything. And, you know, so it's, it's getting into a pretty desperate state. But this, this investor kept saying we're in. Uh, anyway, we ran out of money, had to go to Spire, go to Gelman. And we asked these guys if they would um, put up with a kind of a two-week delay in our cash because uh, that's what our investor, supposedly investor, said, asked us to do. So we did that, got the delay. And then when that two weeks expired, the guy pulled the, pulled the deal away. And so we're two weeks short on Mike Gelman and Paul. And we, um, I mean, we owe money. The only place to get it's out of our, <laughs> our own bank accounts, yeah. which I don't really have one anymore. Right. And, um, and what we did is we just turned to the, um, everyone we knew, we kind of became a call center. There were five of us as co-founders. We all got on the phone. For a whole week, we just stopped working on the company and called everyone we knew, and uh, and then angel money started flowing, and we ended up raising eight million dollars of angel money, if you can believe that. Wow. This is the end of '98, or you know, November, December, yeah, and um, and then we got Benchmark Capital interested uh, after an introduction from a bank, and then uh, they asked to put in four and a half million, but to do that, we had to give back almost four million, over four million in uh, checks to the angels. Um, we hadn't cashed every check, so the ones we hadn't cashed, we sent back. But the other ones, we had to cut a lot of our investors in half, and that became a fiasco. But we raised, uh, in the end, uh, we raised about $30 million from venture firm. Well, a lot of a big chunk from angels, but we had, um, including, uh, well, I won't even say, a couple interesting people. Uh, but but um, Benchmark Capital, you know, Technology Crossover Ventures, Amarindo. They got in trouble later. The, the the owner of that ended up in prison. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, nice. <laughs> always nice to have them on your cap table. But it, but it, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it was a huge fund. But with two hundred people, huge, I think, huge yeah, fund. Yeah, um, that's amazing. But it was a yeah. We had a a big investor pool. And yeah, a very early crowdfunding model. Uh, yeah, angel. Yeah, that's uh started a little spinoff from that activity. That's yeah, amazing. Well, thank you so much for the info. I mean, it's so cool to hear the eBags uh, story and origin story and all, all those stories. And uh, really excited to hear uh, about Iterate and what you're doing on that front. So if you can tell us what uh, what you're doing there, and I've got lots of good questions on that front. Too. You do? Yes. Okay. <laughs> 
Well, um, Iterate started because the uh, the technology world was changing so much. And when I left eBags, I went back into the startup community, which is what, what I really love probably the most. And and uh, was invited to join a board over in Kiev in the Ukraine. In Ukraine, and I spent two years going back and forth every quarter to look at Russian, Kazakhstan, Moldovian, Belarusian, you know, startups. And I was on the board there with a guy named Brian Sathyanathan, who was a uh, one of the eight leaders of the very first iPhone. Um, he was representing another company at the time, but. Uh, we got to know each other because every every quarter, we, there's nowhere to go. No one has cars. Uh, you know, you're out in this little, alone in this uh, compound kind of, and you just talk. And we started talking about how all these, like, you know, call it Russian companies or Kazakhstanian companies are deploying products off the Amazon cloud, you know, out of Eastern Europe. And then we started talking about how you could test these things through these other SaaS platforms like Optimizely or Visual Website Optimizer. And, you know, the real problem in the world now is no longer like eBags. You needed millions of dollars to get off the ground uh, because you had to buy all the servers and, and write every lick of code, you know, from scratch. Now we're in a world where the um, barrier to entry is no longer cash. It's... It's exposure. And, um, you know, so we thought there, some of these are so powerful, like some of these technologies, we need to show them to our friends back in America or in Europe or wherever. And that was the, that was the beginning of, you know, the idea for Iterate. And um, over the years then, or over the next, we're three years old almost now, but, and that was happening probably four years ago, four and a half then we started realizing as, as we got more talking to larger companies that the world has also moved big time into companies like Roximity, you know, your company, and uh, where uh, it's a lot of in-store activity. Companies have to digitize, uh, not in stores, but in banks, in, you know, in, um, heck, the insurance companies need new algorithmic ways to figure out what's going to happen when self-driving cars come out and, you know. What, what's that going to do to their, their industry? Right. But every industry is affected so greatly by this digital thing that we, we just started um, aggregating all these uh, technologies across every sector, every, every type of use case you might think of. And are you going after, are, do you kind of identify uh, interesting upcoming sectors and then find companies within them? Or are you finding the companies and then expanding out that way? Or is it kind of everything. Yeah, you know, we're small enough. We're kind of driven by uh, the large companies we work with. So here's an example. Um, we work with uh, Enico, which is a big utility in Netherlands. They, um, you know, they're, and Netherlands is a really interesting place because um, they have a lot of communal uh, energy production capabilities. Basically, they, they're very, they're very uh, proactive in trying to create a situation where communities grow their own energy, basically. A lot of solar, a lot of wind, as you could imagine, uh, out in the ocean. Yeah. But uh, they do things like um, they will uh, go to their neighborhood Home Depot, uh, you know, the equivalent of Home Depot over there, and they'll, they'll get them to put solar panels on the roof of the Home Depot and then pump all the energy into the houses as a good neighbor. And, and they, you know, they're creating trading mechanisms over there. So... 
And Echo came to us and uh, along with a big consulting firm, Capgemini, and, and, and said, hey, you know, uh, we bought this thing called Tune, which is a competitor to Nest, which Brian's close to because three of the guys that started that were on, they worked together on the iPhone. They're his friends. Uh, and, and Echo came to us and said, we bought this thing called Tune, a competitor to Nest, and we got to find a way to, we got to make this take hold. They're selling a lot of them, but what it comes down to is you got to create a, a platform. Basically, you've got to create a way for third-party apps and third-party devices to connect into this. And, and Brian is helping them with this effort. We are, yep. I should say, but yep. Brian's a, a core engineer. Uh, but then beyond that, what they did is they identified a bunch of sectors that they need to be on top of to make this ecosystem work. And we created this website called Iterate AI, where we are able to aggregate all the technologies in these sectors and then, uh, and then grade them you know, within each of the sector against each other so that then they can take the top uh, three to 10 technologies in each sector and decide if they want to do biz dev deals, acquire, or invest in them. They've got a $150 million fund they're trying to invest in companies like this. But the sectors are things like you know, smart home security, smart home, smart building, smart cities, uh, deep learning and, and AI within the energy sector, uh, autonomous and electric cars, um, flex and grid computing, which could facilitate the trading of energy between, not from power plants, but between homes and build. So it's pretty cool, you know? That's extremely cool. So they kind of take us down these paths. It's not really, I mean, we just, the market's moving so fast. That's really cool. So you're kind of like a matchmaker, consultant, you're mm -hmm. kind of in there. Uh, yeah. And so your customers are these big corporations um, and you're kind of on the, you know, finger on the pulse with all the new technologies, all the different startups, and you pair them with these, these mm -hmm. opportunities. And is there kind of a, um, is there a structure that's kind of set forth there? Or is it kind of just what each you know, the large corporations looking for these types of things. So you kind of figure out a project by project or pilots or from a startup's perspective, what does it look like? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. We kind of started out consulting more. We didn't have any software. Today we've got, we built this thing, Iterate AI, Iterate.ai. And what it does is it, it's got 136,000 startups indexed inside it. Awesome. Because that kind of, so that kind of informs the beginning of a search. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what we've got are tons of collections. Like I've personally got, I don't know, 250 of them in there. And, and we just add startups to them. So it's kind of a, as you know, it's, it's a constantly evolving world. Mm -hmm. Digital technologies are coming out all over the place. So, uh, you know, we, we tend to focus our efforts on where, the, where we've got large companies asking us for things. But also it's self-service, like large companies can go in and do their own. That's amazing. Now, this okay. is an evolving ecosystem too. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, it's an, we're an evolving company. We're a startup ourselves. So we've got a long way to go, but we've also become a partner to uh, Demandware, which is, they run websites for 600 retailers, 2000 websites all over the world. And, and we are their gateway to startups for their ecosystem. I mean, they're emerging, start, like the earliest startups where they've got a great link program uh, with more mature companies in there, but we're bringing in a lot of really new ones. So we built a connector, basically, we're going to be an app store into them. It's not even really announced yet, but we're all done with it. We're all uh, certified on it, and and within a week, we'll probably be full on, you know, public publicly talking about this. So we're we're becoming a data hub as well, um, and and that's what we ultimately want to become. It's we don't want to be consultants, uh, <laughs> but 
but but it turns out you do have to help in certain cases. But we we you, you know have to help, we're you've software. got two sides of a market that you have to help yeah. create, so it kind yeah. of makes sense to be in that position. But we've used this all this work we've been doing with large companies. You know, we're doing a lot with eBags, my old company. Um, we're 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 uh, working a lot with the large companies and then learning how they think about things, and th- and then we you know we're trying to productize that within the software. Small companies come to us. That, that was your, your question. They, they will um, approach us and ask us for um, help. Uh, and, and this is really one of the reasons we were built. We, we noticed there are a lot of companies with two or four people. They don't have a salesperson, but they've got an amazing product, like they're awesome engineers. There's one in, a great example is one out in uh, California called QM Scientific that's a a um, deep learning uh, company around the grocery space. And, you know, it's a couple guys, but really, really smart guys. But people need to know this stuff exists. And so we're there to help expose them. And what we try to do is we, if we find a technology that looks really promising, we'll we'll get uh, what we, we'll try to get involved in some testing um, of the technology and not, not for quality, but more for business impact. And we determine whether or not it has a, a real positive business impact on a large organization. And if we can quantify that, that's when we will endorse a company. And, and, and as long as we've got, we think we've got a lot of people that will look at it, then we'll kind of get behind it from, you know, endorsement point of view. Very cool. That's, that's super interesting. I think, you know, uh, uh, all of these big companies, every one of them is is has some sort of kind of thinking down these lines now. They're you know uh, some of them are partnering with people like TechStars to have their own accelerator. So you know like Target and Ford and all these different companies have their own kind of internal accelerators now. And there's uh, uh, intrapreneurial uh, programs and stuff at a lot of the these companies. Are you are you guys uh, kind of helping and facilitating those things? Are those kind of competitive to what you're doing, or is it all just one big ecosystem of helping kind of connect everybody? Yeah, you know that we've seen so much action on the the lab. You know the outsource lab, like TechStar is doing a lab for Liberty Media, or you know something like that, uh, or Target. You know and and those are great, and we don't, I mean, we believe in those. We don't believe in getting in the way, or we're not trying to do sure. that. Um, and, and we do believe that, it's, you know, all companies need to be inventing on their own. Like, they need to have a real focus on it. But what we do, whereas a lot of those companies will extend to, like, six, you know, they'll invite, like, six companies into a semester, uh, um, a program, we... Are just constantly scanning, and and we don't we're not married to any startup. We're not, you know, we we will endorse some, but sure. we're not paid to do this. I mean, we're not paid to bring certain companies in, or certain startups. We're we're more of a fluid R and D lab to some extent. If you think about like Amazon, they've got, I mean, they're the ultimate. They they started in two thousand four, two thousand five, with uh, A nine and Lab one two six, which is kind of like. What that means is lab one through twenty six, A to Z. They do anything, you know. That's their hardware lab, and um, and then they've got web labs, and they and they pump over ten billion dollars a year into those things. And there isn't a company. I mean, there there are very few, I should say, that can keep up with that. And and in our view, the only way any normal, like just an average company, sure, can um, large company can keep up is by tapping into the startup community. It's like your company, Roximity. I mean, you've had investment in it. 
uh, they, a large company can tap into what you do, Danny, without having to put that investment up front. And, and it's, they're tapping into a proven, you know, proven product. Yeah. All, all spaces have these. And it's more a matter of finding them, vetting them quickly, making sure you get what we call the perfect insights, which means the, the true insight into how they operate, you know, the business impacts they provide. And if you can get to those quickly, you kind of can speed up your R&D process at a very low risk. That's awesome. And that's what we're there to do. That's very cool. So where do you see where do you see Iterate in you know the next few years or next five, mm-hmm. whatever what the future looks like? My hope is that it's a, a platform, like just a, an innovation platform. If you talk to my team, Andy Wickern, who's here in Denver, uh, his wife. I mean, I work with a husband and wife team, Joanne Wickern, um, George Latsis, another guy here in Denver. If you ask them, they'll say they want to be the innovation machine, meaning. Uh, the software basically provides the wisdom, the Iterate software provides the wisdom to the enterprise and the startup to match, to do this matchmaking. But the matchmaking done beyond just like, hey, you know, um, startup meet enterprise, but actually the integration occurs all smartly. You know, it, the data flows through the platform. It, we, we create a modular capability for the enterprise so that they can move quicker and a modular capability for the startup to plug into. That's that's where we're trying to get with an AI type interface doing all this. That's very cool. Very, very cool. Well, if uh, anybody wants to uh, uh, get more information, uh, is it just iterate.ai? Yeah. John, J-O-N, okay. iterate.ai. Great. Or you can well, just go there. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. This has been uh, very cool and uh, really appreciate you, uh, you stopping by. Well, thank you, Danny. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Turnpikers, recorded at Postmodern Company in downtown Denver. More information on this show is available at turnpikers.com and at turnpikers on Twitter. Reach out with questions and recommend future guests.